All, All right. right. We're back again. How's it going, buddy? It's going well. It's going well. I'm glad that we've uh, managed to get back on track, start making episodes again. Absolutely. Just real quick, can I ask you a question? This is related. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, I, th- I think there's some lag. Hold on. Okay. Uh, yeah, what I wanted to ask you, this is related. Do you have, how would you rate your memory of things that you have told people? Like in conversation, <laughs> just things that you've said. Because I've been realizing recently, and I guess not that recent, but for a while now, like people will mention to me, oh, remember when you said this? And I go, I don't remember that. Like, I don't remember even saying that. <laughs> it feels like I have some kind of amnesia for things that I've talked about with people. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you have that? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that's pretty normal. Like, um, yeah, I think just with a lot of social interactions, you tend to forget, like, a huge number of the details. It's only the stuff that, like, uh, emotionally riles you up somehow <laughs> uh, that really sticks mm. in your memory, I think. <laughs> and that's right, why, right. like, when people start to make flashcards of stuff this is kind of like tangential uh, but yeah it's when when people start mm. to make flashcards about details about um social interactions they've had with other people i'm always mm. like i wonder if that's a good idea because mm. it seems like we maybe we forget details about that stuff for a reason you know what i mean mm. Mm. yeah i don't know i think some of it probably is a good idea especially if there was some lesson you learn from it mm. sometimes it's a social lesson like i said that and i shouldn't have said that mm. like i should have picked up from this clue and that clue that this person didn't want to talk about that or whatever and i think that can be useful i i wonder if it would especially be useful for people who have you know struggled a little bit with that kind of thing and mm. that we can keep those things top of mind and, and integrate that but i guess the reason why i'm asking is because i was thinking of it in relation to this and i I was thinking, you know, what have we talked about in the past? I don't want to repeat any, <laughs> any things, you know. And I'm thinking, I have no idea. I don't remember at all yeah. except for the last one. That's funny. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know And what you mean. I don't, like, I'm sorry. If, if I say the same thing multiple times, I really am sorry. I'm not doing it on purpose. I don't even know that I'm doing it. <laughs> and it's not like anybody has told me that I am. But I just, I wonder if I am. I'm, I'm sure it must be happening without me realizing it. Maybe you're getting too many or too much uh, memory interference. Maybe you're doing a lot of learning outside of this. It's causing you to forget. <laughs> or maybe we're just having the same conversations yeah, I'm, over I'm and over again. on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this guy's got another podcast rolling somewhere else where he talks about Rome. His Rome <laughs> <laughs> uh, What a traitor. Anyway. So, yeah, I just thought that was, uh, that was interesting. I, I was wondering if you resonated with that. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I definitely resonate with that. Like, I can't remember what we've uh, talked about, to be honest. Um, but I know that people will complain if we start talking about the same thing over and over again. So, you know, there's a feedback mechanism. People won't stay silent. Mm. They will start complaining. We yeah. will be forced to talk about interesting things as opposed, as opposed to what we usually talk about. So, <laughs> Right, so if you do hear us mention the same thing multiple times, just let us know, complain about it. But then I'm concerned that my nature will make me continue doing it because people are <laughs> complaining about it <laughs> oh man yeah, it's like uh, uh reactance or whatever whatever was calls it when someone tells you to do something and you say uh no i'll do exactly the opposite <laughs> yeah exactly i just i can't do it if you've asked me <laughs> anyway all right you said you had a list oh, of man. topics yeah 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 i've got a ton of uh interesting things i mean 
I mean, they're the kind of uh, notes that sometimes you look back on them and you wonder, you know, what the hell was I thinking? Why did I write this down? Right. What does it even mean? So I did have to filter out <laughs> at least two. And so I've got the two that are left. Mm. Um, yeah, actually, one of them is Dick Fosbury. I, I think I've talked about this before and I can't believe, I can't remember if we talked about it on the pod, but do you know who Dick Fosbury is? Yeah, the, the guy who did that uh, pole vaulting flip thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll yeah. basically just introduce very briefly who he is and why I'm interested in him. But I, I, I did some learning about him recently. Um, uh, it, it just got me interested in him again because I was interested in him for a while mm. um, before. But um, basically, he's this guy. He's a, a high jump athlete. Um, he, he's interesting because he pioneered this technique called the Fosbury flop. It's named after him. Um, mm. Yeah. Which... Uh, you know, at the time, there were only two other methods. One was called like the straddle method for going over the bar. So you basically just kick your legs over, uh, over the bar, or or you mm. go over like uh, right. face first. Um, but he came up with this mm. method um, for just like sort of jumping backwards over the bar, and that's the the method that everyone uses today. Um, but yeah, the the whole story behind him coming up with this new technique is quite interesting. Basically, when he was in high school, mm. he was. Uh, he was like an underdog. He wasn't very good at the high jump. He was really struggling to perform well at mm. these meets, these athletics meets. Mm. Uh, so eventually mm. he worked with his um, coach he, uh, to sort of try out different techniques. And eventually he came across mm. this method that we see today of him just sort of jumping backwards over the bar, right? And everyone continued to ridicule him throughout high school up until the point where he got to the Olympics at age 21. And he... Uh, won the gold medal I think and then after that um, mm. you know the technique became more and more widespread until within a generation it's basically the number one technique um, so yeah basically what I found interesting about this is that uh, you know there were there were obviously lots of um, high jump athletes but uh, and there are good high jump athletes and there are bad high jump athletes but what's interesting is that um, it's not the good high jump athletes that tried to explore and try and find a new uh, technique that would um, like lead them to greater success in the Olympics or whatever because they were already right. on top. Right. So it's it's left up to the underdog or the person who isn't performing very well to uh, sort of explore and try and take risks and try and find a new technique. Mm. And so, mm. um, yeah, that, that was the first interesting thing. And then the second, um, and this is, pretty much related but uh i watched a interview with dick fosbury um and it was after actually maybe it was it was when he's quite old so it must have been recent and he was talking about what happened after uh the olympics when he was 21 when he won the gold medal and he was talking about how mm. his um technique sort of diffused amongst the other elite athletes and what he said was that it was the underdogs and the people who were doing poorly who were willing to take a risk and adopt this technique before the elite athletes. So what you saw is basically like right, okay. kind of a flip of the medal table. <laughs> like uh, all of the <laughs> underdogs started to adopt this technique. So they started to perform better, but the people who are already on right, top, they right. didn't want to let go. So, you know, they were slower right. to change. So right. why is this interesting? Um, well, I find it interesting for a lot of reasons, but um, one of them is that I think maybe it's related to like this whole learning uh like like learning stuff like free learning space repetition systems and stuff 
you can sort of mm. make an analogy between those these learning techniques that we think are more effective and I, I you know I'd be willing to say that they are more effective um give a big model um but uh <laughs> maybe the like what I've observed is that it's not people who are already doing very well at school or um you know or learning or they're already running some big business or they've got a startup or, or whatever um who are adopting these techniques it's it tends to be people who maybe aren't doing so well at school because those are the people who are going to be searching online like how do i do better on my exams or mm. how do i learn stuff faster um but yeah mm. i'm wondering is that what you've observed as well do you think that's that's true or um i don't know my experience is that the people i've talked to within the space repetition community on average are I don't know a nicer way to say it. Smarter than, mm. you know, just an average person. I that's that's been my rough experience. And of course, there are confounding variables there. Like if you're into super memo, which I am, that's a much more niche thing. And if you found Anki and went beyond, then it's probably more. It's more so that you're interested in learning itself than you are trying to master your school material so that you can pass the test. So right. that might be something that that makes it harder to det to determine the the originating factor there but i'll say in my experience because this is really all i know well it wasn't that wasn't really the case because i wasn't trying to do any school mm. i just noticed that i would read a book or i would learn something and i would just not remember it after a couple of months you know mm. but i had a I had a good memory naturally for certain things. Like I remember I I learned I think the first 500 digits of pi, you know, in in like a week or something. The first 100 I, it was like an hour and I would annoy people just by reciting it over and over again. Mm. But um anyway, that's that's an odd that's an odd thing, but I I never really noticed that I had a bad memory. I just thought after I learned this stuff a while after you know, I, I forget it. So that's a, a downside and I tried to fix that. So in my experience, it wasn't the case. But I do think more generally that people who are doing fine, it's like if it's not broke, don't fix it, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. If you're doing fine, you don't go around looking for something better. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, and I hate bringing up this analogy because I know a lot of a lot of people that are listening to this don't watch American football. But if you look at a guy like Tom Brady in American football, mm. and I'll I'll try to give enough context so it makes sense. Tom Brady is not a very good athlete, and that's not an insult to him. <laughs> he, he knows he knows that he's not a very good athlete. He's a terrible athlete, and that's why he was picked so low in the draft, basically. You know, I, I'm not sure if every sport has a draft, but basically all the sports teams said, you suck, Tom, we're not going to pick you, right? Eventually he got picked later on, and, you know, it is what it is. He's the greatest of all time now. But the reason he was able to become the greatest of all time is not because he was a good athlete, or because he's particularly good at throwing the ball or anything like that. It's because he figured out another way to be good at the game, which is to educate yourself on the defense of the other team so that when you line up before the play, he can know roughly what's going to happen and quickly get the ball out of his hands so that he doesn't get sacked and that it doesn't have to go very far down the field because, you know, he's got a good arm, but he's not like one of these young guys who are a great athlete. So the point is, I agree with your central idea that if you're not very good at the given thing, you have to employ creativity to find some other way to be good at it mm. because you've already tried the normal way, right? Right. And you're not good at it that way. 
And so I definitely agree that, I don't know, you know, I'm trying to reassess it. Now you ask me if I, if that's what I've observed. Mm. I think it's not what I've observed particularly, but maybe it's for a different reason. Like it's obfuscated. Like, mm, I don't know. It's, yeah, I'm, do you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah, yeah I think I do ahead. know what you're saying. Yeah. I think I'm reassessing it as well. Like, um, I think what you said about Anki and Superman, maybe that's like a good um, distinction to draw because I think maybe this would be seen more in the Anki community. Mm. Like, since it, like, if you're doing poorly in an exam, uh, I feel like, yeah, you're going to go online and you're going to search, um, how do I get better at my exams? And you're probably going to get put through to mm. Anki. Right. And right. the culture there is that, you know, um, uh, Anki helps you study for exams and yeah uh, but I think people who are drawn more to Super Memo it tends to be more of, it's not necessarily that you're doing poorly in an exam although sometimes it is it's more like you're frustrated with um, for example you you are frustrated with uh, the fact that mm. you don't remember things as well you, you notice that you're not mm. remembering stuff so you want to f- try and fix that problem it's not right. like you uh, you want to do better on some, uh, uh, like, uh, in some performance table. You know, you don't want to be ranked higher than someone right, else. Right. It's more like you notice something right. that's wrong with your studying or whatever. And then I think uh, the other sort of reason people get attracted to it is because just disillusionment with the learning at, um, mm. universities, I suppose, or, or at high school or whatever. Right, yeah. So maybe there's a difference there, but... Um, yeah, I, I like the idea of like having to employ creativity to find a new uh, strategy. Mm. I, I like that um, idea. And I'm wondering if you know any, like, I'd really like to know if there's an athlete out there um, who is considered to be like on the top, but they're also continually uh, sort of investing in finding new ways to be even better than they already are. So they they are kind of just like competing basically against themselves. <laughs> like because mm. it seems like we've we've identified that people who are worse that they're, they're already incentivized to take risks because they haven't got anything to lose and mm. people who are good mm. are not incentivized to take risks because why um break what's what, what you don't need to what do you what do you say you don't need to fix what isn't broken or something <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so is there someone who doesn't fit in the mold who's like an amazing elite athlete mm. but they still continually employ creativity and push themselves to be even better than mm. they already are. Mm. Well, I think one of the things, and, and I touched on this motivation idea last time, but I think if you're not very good at something at the beginning, right, and you look at other people, let's say you're an athlete and you're in high school and other high school athletes are better than you, I think that's a motivating thing. And you end up working harder, which plays a big role in it which is why i often see late round picks in let's say football who are much better than you know first round picks and it's not always true of course but i think one of the factors might be that being bad at something gives you extra juice to work harder at Mm. it so i think that's one way in which it helps and another way just to give some examples here and, and see if we can find some interesting pattern there's a ah, okay. I'm not going to talk about American football. It's too <laughs> it's too niche of a thing. I'll, I'll I'll skip it. But you know Malcolm Gladwell, in his book, 
and I, I haven't looked into this research myself, perhaps it doesn't hold up, but my understanding is that dyslexia can make you more likely to do something, um, let's say, unusually great in life, you know, be a successful CEO mm. or something like this. It can also make you more likely to end up in prison, but it's, you know, it's like either or. It either makes you more likely to do that or, or more likely to do something good. Mm. So I think dyslexia is one of those things where you find ways to compensate for it. And the one of the highest paid lawyers ever, who I think was hired by Bill Gates during the, maybe that, you know, Microsoft Monopoly scandal. Mm. Was that in the late 90s, I think? Mm. And... His what's this guy's name? David something. Anyway, he gets paid like eighteen hundred dollars an hour, and he's dyslexic. Mm. And he, you know, he used to have have to have his mom read to him because he couldn't read very well, and all these things. And my understanding is that he credits some of that or some of his success as a lawyer with the way that dyslexia made him interact with the material or something. It's not that clear to me. I'm, I haven't really studied this, but I know that that's one of those disabilities let's say and that's no disrespect to the people with dyslexia i don't know what it's called but that's one of those things that even though it makes it harder in some way it also gives you an edge because you have to find ways to work around it mm. you know yeah that's interesting it's like uh dyslexia is a desirable difficulty or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and, and that whole notion of desirable difficulties i wonder about that i mean of course this is a it's sort of a, a related but different thing. It's almost like circumventing a difficulty by way of, you know, a, a creative approach. Mm. Because you have some limitation. You're, you know, you're too small, you're not fast enough, you're not strong enough, or your brain doesn't look at the words properly, or whatever it is. Mm. And you have to find some alternative approach that ends up... The interesting part to me is that these alternative approaches often don't bring you up to the to the average level, let's say, but they they allow you to surpass it, mm. and they can allow you to be the greatest ever. Like you yeah. say, this guy, you know, Dick Fosbury, I doubt that he's the best ever. In fact, that's basically impossible because athletes are always getting better. So the fact that he came a while ago mm. means that he's not. But he did invent something new, and I really respect anybody who looks at something that's so entrenched yeah. and says, you know what? That doesn't have to be that way because most people are so... They're so caught up in the way that things are that they don't even think to look about how things could be. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. This is look great. at Steve Jobs. Yeah, look at Steve Jobs' uh, presentation on the iPhone in 2007. There are many golden nuggets in there about how he, and I don't know if it was him, maybe it was someone else, but he's the, he's the one presenting mm. it, about how he looked at things and said, that's not good, and it could be different. Mm -hmm. Where other people just looked at it and went, that's the way it is. Like, the way he said, you don't need a stylus, you know, like one of those stupid pens, to interact with the iPhone. Where the, the Palm Pilot, all that stuff, you needed one of those stupid stylus things to, to interact with the screen. Nobody liked that. Like he said, you could lose it. It's annoying to use, all that. Yeah. So he said, we're not going to do that. You can use your finger. You've always got a finger, you know? <laughs> at least if you're lucky. <laughs> and so... It, it's those things. You have to look at things that most people dismiss as intractable or just the way it is. And you go, it doesn't have to be that way. That's how you do great things. And that's also how you make a business idea or things like that. Most people have mm. a problem in their life, at least one problem that they encounter that they would like to be fixed if they were queried about it. 
But to them, it's not even a possibility that it would be fixed mm. because it's just that's the way that it is. And so the people who do great things, do new things, it's continually looking through that lens of things aren't the way they are because of some fact of nature. They just happen to turn out this way and they could just as easily be changed or have turned out a different way. So how can I view it through that lens and then alter it? And it's one of those things where you have to look at the tools and and the jobs as an extension of yourself in pursuit of a particular goal, not a particular way of pursuing that goal. So mm. just to bring another American football reference, and this one will <laughs> make sense. A defensive player was trying to tackle an offensive player, but there was another offensive player in between him and the other guy. So he pushed the other guy such that he hit his own teammate and knocked him down, right? And That's that great. only makes sense if you view the goal as the important thing yeah. and not the means of it. Most people would say, I'm trying to tackle him, so I need to get my arms around him. Yeah. And he's saying, I'm trying to stop him from running on the field. And however I can do that, whether that means pushing his own teammates so that he falls back and hits him and stops him, that's just fine to me. Everything is like that, you know? Mm. So Dick Fosbury says, I got to get over this bar. Yes. Most people are doing it the normal way. Yeah. It doesn't matter how I'm doing it. <laughs> I can't do it the normal way. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. No, I love this. I love this uh, train of thought. It makes me wonder, like, how often are we just trapped in a local optimum? And how often are we just not seeing the the taller peak ahead of us that we can climb instead of this smaller one mm. um, just on the basis of us, mm. you know, following the conventional wisdom or not having the creativity mm. to come up with some new idea. Like what's interesting is it right. seems that uh, like in Dick Frosby's case, it's some, or, or the dyslexia case that you mentioned, it's some sort of constraint that has been applied to someone mm. that then makes them, mm. it makes them worse in the conventional sense. But th by having mm. that constraint imposed on them, they have to use creativity to then go and find something to allow them to find that mm. um, global optimum or or some or at least some higher uh, optimum, you know? Uh, one right. example right. of this that I saw recently, which was just insane, was um, in NES. Uh, NES is like a game console. It's NES Tetris. Uh, there mm. was uh, recently um, the development of some new way of pressing the buttons on a controller. So basically you, you like rest the controller oh, wow. on your knee and like roll your fingers or something and you sort of use the wow. coordination between tapping your knee or whatever or, and um pressing the buttons on the controller to allow you to press the buttons way faster and um wow. so obviously <laughs> nes tetris is a game that's been out for so so long now like and it's such a simple right. um set of uh inputs and outputs and what's going on in the game and stuff that you would have expected mm. everyone over 40 years or whatever to have found you know the number one uh, most optimal way of playing this game. You know, you'd expect there to be basically no uh, opportunity left to use your creativity to find a new a new mm. method just because there have been so many people playing, so many people dedicating their lives to <laughs> trying to find a better way that there'd just be nothing left. But this has happened very recently. Mm. People have just, you know, it's, it's just turning the control around, putting it on your knee or something. That's enough to create like right. huge new... Um, personal records and stuff and world's that's first beautiful. and stuff like that so yeah in such as if, if, if that's possible that's in such terrific. a simple and like well-studied game you know what must be possible in life and like much more complex domains there must always be a mm. possibility of even just like small amounts of creativity like a new 
association, a random association that, that could allow you to overcome what the people are doing now, you know? Mm. Yeah, and I, I think it's possible all over the place. And I think the reason it's so... I think the reason so few pe- so few people do it is because it requires, I think, a feeling of agency, which is to say a feeling that you could have an impact on the world. Mm. You could succeed where others have failed. Mm. And one of the claims made by Waz and other other anti-schooling people is that schooling kind of robs children of their feeling of agency. It's constantly mm. telling them what to do. It's not letting them find their own way, this kind of thing. And you grow up as an adult and you just sort of take things as they are. Of course, this is not true for everybody, but I think the claim is that more people would end up being more agentic and creative if there weren't such coercive forces throughout the entirety of their life, at least for the early period, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this feeling of agency is one of the prime things that can account for people just looking at something that other people don't even view as changeable. It's not that they don't view it as changeable. It's that they never thought of it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Most people, like I say, think of how many problems you encounter in your life. Most of them, you don't even consider that it could be fixed. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like it's it really is that way. Like I wish I had a a, a good example of this, but there are so many things that people do on a day to day basis that suck, <laughs> and to them. It's just, it, that's the way it is. It sucks. You know what I mean? They, it's not something they think of to try to innovate about. Mm. And so that feeling of agency is such a valuable thing. And, you know, you it, no matter who you are, you can have an impact on the world because of features like this, where most people don't look at the way that things could be improved. Mm. And if you do, if you decide to do that, I think you'll get further ahead than, than people would imagine. Mm. Yeah, I think... Um... I wonder what would happen, like, <laughs> I think a big part of it is being uh, very influenced, like, like like you said, one part is not having the agency, but another part is uh, just being influenced by, by what other people are doing, right, and just copying them, mm. and then assuming that mm. everyone else has uh, already found the best way, and that there's no way that you could possibly come up with a better solution. I wonder if, like, right. uh, maybe to give a specific domain, let's say... <clears throat> in like uh, academia or something, maybe the best thing that you could do is to not read any of the papers anyone else <laughs> uh, is uh, producing or anything like that and just mm. focus on like mm. you and a small team um, doing your stuff mm. and, and don't read anything from anyone else. And um, yeah, maybe that's a better approach to research in general rather than, uh, for example, governments pouring... Uh, this example came up earlier, I think, uh, in one of the events at Supermember Wiki, but we're talking about, you know, is it better for governments to pour all of their resources into, let's say, one laboratory to find a cure for uh, COVID or whatever? Or is it better to spread the resources between lots of different laboratories and um, each of them work on sort of what they believe could be mm. the route to the, to the cure? And I think at first glance, you probably mm. say, you know, why not just put it all into one laboratory? Then we'd have less duplication of research, less people just working on the same thing. Um, but I think based on what we've just discussed right now, you know, if you're all, if you're only pouring your research, uh, research money into one uh, lab, you're probably going to have like basically people just working on the same thing. Everyone's just going to be following 
uh, what mm. everyone else is doing. There's not going to be much room mm. for sort of variety right. and dispersion in the sort of attempts that are going on. But when you invest into lots mm. of different labs, obviously, and let's say, let's add the condition that you, you're not allowed to read what any of the other labs are doing. Um, then there's <laughs> the opportunity to come up with really novel um, approaches to solve the problem. There's going to be some duplication, mm. but you're you're massively widening the scope of like creativity that could be employed to solve the problem and i think that's that's pretty exciting mm. Mm. yeah particularly on the not reading other papers thing i think that might make it a little bit more difficult in some ways because in order to innovate in any given area you need a lot of raw new knowledge to work with to to churn through for your creative machine you know so in some mm. way it would be useful in that you're less influenced by others in another way it seems like it would make it harder but yeah, I, I have no. I do wonder about that, in terms of the the net effect. And another related thing, like you say, people tend to keep researching the same things, or at least similar things, or things that are not particularly new. Mm. And I think at least some part of that might be due to the fact that such few dollars as a percentage are given to younger scientists. Right. My understanding is that it's some very small percentage, two percent or something. That that's goes to scientists that are less than the age of 35 if we're talking about uh, i think it's the nih the national institute of health mm. and that's that automatically means at least it probably means that you're giving money to people that are already entrenched in the field with its dogma and all that mm. and you know are you going to get great ideas sometimes but maybe you could get better ideas more frequently if you gave it gave that money to people who are not already beaten down <laughs> by this system, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I wonder about that. And just a related thing, it's constant approval-seeking behavior that diminishes people, diminishes their capacity mm. and their interestingness and their creativity because you're waiting for someone else to approve of whatever it is you do or say or want or whatever. Do not do that. Mm. It doesn't matter what anybody says. This is the problem. It's like, Oh, even even um, to to relate it to something we do, even in the Super Mama Wiki, they'll do incremental reading. People do incremental reading. It's like, oh, is this the right way to do it? Is this a good way to do it? It doesn't matter. It don't ask other people. Is your experience good? Are you learning a lot? Have you tried other techniques and this is working better than those? That's all that matters. Mm. Don't try to do it the way that it's supposed to be done. Decide for yourself. Yes, I'm not saying de novo all the time. Nobody can be an expert at everything and go through from the basics and come up with a good idea in every field. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you think you have a good idea, it doesn't matter what other people think. If you can reason it out and you know yourself to be reasonable and, and you're doing your best to be objective and rational about it and you still assess yourself to be correct when most people say something different, then just stick with your guns on that. That's what more people need to do. Mm. Don't go looking for validation from other people about something if you look inside and you feel that you know you're right and others are wrong. And of course, what I'm doing there is validating a lot of people who are going to be wrong because a lot of wrong people have the feeling that they're right and everyone else is wrong. And that sucks. But a lot of right people have the feeling like, oh, I disagree with the common view. Therefore, I must be wrong. Mm. No, it's possible for you to be right, especially if it's if it's a generational thing where 
it seems like people above the age of 50 in a particular field believe this thing and you believe this, right? Mm. I'm just saying believe in yourself. As cliche as it sounds, just have the confidence to go with whatever you've assessed to be correct. Yes. And just do that. And we'll have more people that are creative and doing interesting things. Yes, this connects very strongly to something I learned about recently. So it seems like what we're we're not saying necessarily that you completely ignore everything that everyone else is doing and people who are giving you feedback. It's like you want to balance. You need to find a balance between working on your own thing and receiving feedback yeah. from the outside world. And this links to something uh, really interesting that I've been learning about recently, which is artificial selection. Um, and this, this is all related, I, mm. I feel like. So in artificial selection, um, the way, basically what you're doing is you're breeding animals together uh, in order to give them uh, sort of, you're, you're trying to get beneficial traits, for example, in uh, the cow industry or whatever, the beef industry. You want to breed cows together so that... it's It happens in botany as well, right? It's not exclusive to Oh, animals. yeah, yeah. It's it's very widespread. Anywhere in agriculture, this will technique will be used, basically. Um, right, So okay. you're breeding either animals, organisms together and trying to give them beneficial traits, um, beneficial basically for humans, <laughs> uh, basically, if, if you want to sell them for meat or, or, or use them for <laughs> That's all that matters. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, I mean, since it's artificial selection, it's like it is basically for us. It is kind of selfish, but... <laughs> um, but what's... Right, it's kind of axiomatic that we're the ones doing it, so obviously it's for us, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So basically, um, what these artificial... Uh, selectors, artificial breeders, what they find is that the fastest way to accumulate beneficial adaptations in the population is not to just um, breed the one population as a whole altogether, uh, but it's actually to split them up into subpopulations and then breed those oh, subpopulations together. And then when you find right. a beneficial adaptation, then you breed that specific animal with the rest of the um subpopulations so it's like there's a limited right. okay. gene flow between um these subpopulation groups and the rest of the population so it's like just like we were talking about before i'll try and make it more concrete it's like uh you want to limit the amount of information flow or gene flow in uh, artificial selection that you're getting from the outside world so that you're able to work on your own um sort of uh ideas without uh, just mm. getting diluted with the rest of the genes or the rest of the information from the outside world. Um, mm. And yeah, basically, I, I, th I feel like this technique of uh, limiting information flow and just working on uh, what you want to do uh, in isolation is it's solving like the same problem in lots of different domains. I, f I feel like you can apply this to like we we already talked about it in the context mm. of science research it's obviously used in artificial breeding but basically and in athletics as well like um i guess but yeah it's basically solving the problem where you're you're in a local optimum and you need to find you need to use creativity um whether that be random mutations i guess <laughs> in in genes <laughs> or you need to have like a really cool idea in isolation from the rest of society who don't necessarily believe in your idea. Mm. <clears throat> and then you're able mm. to make it to a new global optimum or at least a higher optimum, right? Does this make sense? Right. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. But I guess to me, I'm wondering 
if it's possible to consume a bunch of information in your field mm. and still read the papers and everything and not let that make you do something unoriginal or Interesting. or not let that tamper you or or ruin your your creativity in some way or something i think it is possible i think like most times when someone does something new they they are still aware of what's going on in their field and they're they're able to think beyond that anyway and i wonder it it almost seems to me that that's a more powerful trait to adopt to be able to blast through all of that dogma <laughs> And still see clearly anyway. You know what That's I mean? That's a great point. Because it's one thing to see it clearly when no one has told you otherwise. And it's another thing to see it clearly when everyone in the world says you're wrong. You know what I mm. mean? Like, uh, I don't know, maybe the 2008 housing crisis in the States. A lot of people were saying, yeah. hey, this is crazy. It's all going to crash. And most people were saying, to my understanding, no, no, it's no problem. And you know, you have to be able to believe in yourself and make the bets when other people are saying you're wrong. And that's a that's a powerful trait to adopt because you're not blocking yourself off from it. You're building the resilience. You know what I mean? But there's multiple kinds of resilience. That's one kind of resilience where you can see it and you're still agreeing with yourself. And there's another kind of creativity resilience, which is you're still able to be creative even though most of your brain is loaded up with the dogma. So that's a weird thing. Yeah, I, th I think, I can't remember when we talked about this, but at some point in this podcast, maybe it was ages ago, maybe even a year ago, like we talked about, um, are you able to have an idea in your mind and sort of coordinate off as, uh, yeah, we, I, I think we're talking about, is it a good idea to encode like speculative information or things like saying mm. like might or maybe mm. or perhaps in your flashcards, right? Mm. And the oh, idea yes, was yes. like, are you able to coordinate those off in your mind as being purely speculative and they won't like bleed into your just general thinking of okay these things are actually true mm. uh but yeah I, I agree with you like uh you reminded me of um that guy michael burry or something uh the guy who oh, bet yeah. heavily against right. um uh the mortgage market basically in 2008 right. yeah and yeah i think that kind of investing that uh like that goes against the grain that goes against everyone's expectations might be a really good place to uh sort of investigate this more because those guys kind of have to come up un under so much pressure i mean in the movie i think it's a big short right uh yeah yeah i think it's the big yeah. short and uh they show like the scenes of the investors in his uh hedge fund who are calling them up saying you know you're going to lose me my entire net worth basically if you get this wrong so the amount of pressure that's on <laughs> michael burry you know not only is he just seeing information mm. but he's also potentially being threatened or at least he knows the consequences of losing um people's right, money exactly. you know uh so yeah to be able to stick with your models under that much pressure is just incredible right it, that's exactly right and to me one of the markers of a of a good thinker and really of maturity of adult behavior is to make the call when it's hard and deal with the consequences mm. because you won't get it right every time that's not the point really the point is to make the right call and deal with it if you get it wrong say i made the right call but it still ended up wrong right. just because it ended up wrong doesn't mean you made the wrong call yeah. you know what i mean you have to accept the consequences of whatever choice you make and you have to be willing to do that otherwise it'll be very hard to do anything new or significant because you're just going to do what everyone else is already saying. Oh, no, that's the wrong call. Do this instead. So, yeah, if you want to keep doing what everyone else is doing, be too afraid of the consequences and go with that instead. 
It's yeah. It's it's never gonna work. Exactly. But anyway, one of the I just on that, you know, cordoning off ideas thing and, and dealing with all this, it makes much more sense if you view all of your beliefs as somewhere on the spectrum in terms of probabilities. Mm. So nothing is it's not a one or a zero. I know this to be true and I know this to be false. It's like I'm X percent certain about this. And you don't always explicitly think of it in those terms. But as long as your worldview is made up of that idea, then it doesn't matter about – what I'm saying is there's no need to concern yourself about whether you are able to cordon off tentative knowledge from your certain knowledge because there is no such separation. It's just everything you do, you view it as probabilities and, and levels of certainty and this kind of mm -hmm. thing. So when you're recalling a – tentative item you don't have to remember that it's tentative because your your system of thinking will already have that embedded in it as a process of dealing with each individual piece of information you know mm. what i mean yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah i completely agree with that damn so yeah so basically what we're saying man. is stand up for yourself give us a big model stand That's behind right. it if it goes wrong deal with the consequences <laughs> yeah just be an adult about yeah. it and say, yeah, I called it wrong. <laughs> At least I made the call. At least I wasn't waiting around for someone to tell me what to exactly, do. Exactly. Beautiful. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to have to dip. I'm going to have to get some food. This, uh, this conversation has riled me up. All right. It's, it's got me very hungry. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. I like this. All right. See you guys next time. All right. See ya.